I'd like you to open once again to the book of the Psalms, Psalms 11, Psalms 11, and then we'll go to Ephesians. Psalms 11 and verse 3, the question is asked, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? I've already told you that the foundation in the New Testament is Jesus. No other foundation has been laid than that which has been laid, and that's Jesus Christ. Well, you can't destroy him. But how much of Jesus is effective working in your life depends on what you believe. If you can talk me out of who he is and what he did and what is offered me today, or as Paul said, if somebody preaches to you another Jesus, and that's the Jesus you're following, but it's not the one in the Bible, then your foundation is not very good because what you're standing on you think is Christ, but it isn't. That's why we teach. We have to be a stickler for the word. We have to keep insisting that the word of God is true, that there is no other source for us to take a stand on. And if our stand is the word and we have faith in it and faith comes by hearing and we persist in hearing it and receiving it, then we will stand in this life. We'll stand through the battles and the, the woes and the difficulties and everything that comes your way. But you'll have to believe what is heard. Attending church doesn't mean you believe. Studying the Bible doesn't mean you believe it. There's a lot of people that are very studious and very intellectual about things in the Bible, far more than we are, that really don't live like it's true. And that benefits you nothing. It may make you feel good about what you know, but in the end, it didn't bring you where you should have been brought. So our foundation is stable and steadfast. It's Jesus Christ. But you've got to believe what it says about him and live like that is true. And not many people do, but we must do that. Now, we said this about the foundation that we're standing on. The things that secure us to this foundation that I said were basically three things. One is the fear of God, and that's your attitude about God. And secondly is the will of God. That's what you do. And going to church, being busy doesn't mean you're doing the will of God, but you've got to find out his will. The renewing of the mind is for the purpose of knowing the will of God because that's what you do. Nothing else is right. That's what's right. And then thirdly, we mentioned worship. We have to be a people of worship. The attitude we have towards God compels us to honor him with our mouth and our hands and our bodies and to worship with thanksgiving the almighty God. This is what happens when you're walking with him because you begin to discover more and more about him. You begin to have experiences in your life that draw you nearer to God. He's no longer just a figure in the Bible, a story that preachers talk about. It becomes a personal thing, a relationship. And you begin to experience more and more of what he said. And you get this taste and see that the Lord is good, and you do, and then you want to dine with the Lord. That is, you want to feast with the Lord and the things that he has, and you want to be a partaker of his, and you begin to grow. But these are the things that God wants from us. Now, last week, I started talking about the things that, as our foundation begins to be stable and steadfast, God gives us certain assurances, things that get settled in us that make us steadfast and immovable. There's a reason that Christians, some of them anyway, there's a reason that some Christians aren't up and down like a yo-yo. There's a reason that people become stable. The word means not easily moved off course. We're warned about every wind of doctrine that comes our way and deceitful men and men who lie in wait to deceive us and deceptions and Jesus warned, take heed that no man deceive you. It's all out there and he doesn't prevent it from coming. But for some people, while it comes, it doesn't find victims. Because some people know in whom they have believed, and they are persuaded that he is able. I'm not talking about Sunday school class. I'm talking about living a Christian life. And they are persuaded, and they're steadfast. And when you get that way, certain things begin to settle in your heart that really overcome this world. The first one we mentioned last week is to know that I am forgiven. We take that for granted a lot. But I reach back in my hard drive, my mind, 
And while all of the memories of the ugliness of my past didn't vanish, it's there to remind me of just how gracious God has been of all the things I've been forgiven of. I was not a very nice person. My mother thought I was, but I was a sinner. I'll just say that. Shamefully, a lot of things I remember in my past, some shameful things that I did, disregarding what's right or wrong, who gets hurt when I do this, or who's offended. Just did it anyway because I'm self-centered, I'm selfish, it's all about me and life, me. And I think of all the damage that was done, not only to a few people, but in my own life, the scars that were left, the things that were there, and God forgave me all of it. I've been forgiven. We sang that song, I've been forgiven, oh, praise the Lord. I've been forgiven by his word. Remember that? I'm not going to start a song because the last one I started, nobody had heard it. (laughs) I've been forgiven. The second thing we said last week, I'm loved. We take that for granted too. We think that just, you know, just God loves everybody. Indiscriminately, just loves everybody. Well, that's not exactly true. That isn't true. You can just read about when Israel came into the promised land and they had to run off all the inhabitants of the land whom God said were an abomination to him. And he said he will send the hornets to drive them out. And when they got in one battle, God himself caused fire to fall from heaven on these people so that the Israelites could win. I don't know that God said, I love them so much, I'm going to throw fire down on top of them. I don't think it says that. But God loves somebody. His love is not a stagnant thing that exists without anybody receiving it. God is love. And when somebody is the object of that love, you talk about a deep-rooted assurance. The little song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But the magnificence of being loved is beyond our understanding. Not only, again, has he forgiven us of all of our sins, but he loves us. And I think, you know, I look at me and I think, why would God love me? I mean, it's easy to look at you and say, why would God love you? But I mean, why would God love any of us? Why? And Ephesians 1, it said because he purposed to. There wasn't anything about anybody in this room that was loving God didn't look at me when I was a school teacher and a, a basketball coach to say, boy, I could use him. He didn't look down at me and say, you know, there's some talent there that would benefit my church and maybe I could use him to. He didn't say that. You know what God saw when he looked at me? A sinner. All we like sheep had gone astray. There was none righteous. Not a single one. There wasn't a spark of goodness in me. All the goodness I did was to benefit me. I felt better about what I did. All the money I gave, I felt good about what I did. Had nothing to do with a release of my love for somebody else. It was all about me. 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 We live in a world of me. Notice me. Look at me. Ain't I something? Don't you wish you were like me? Wish you were as bad as I am? It's all about me. That's what God sees. Me-centered, ugly, indifferent, sinful people. And the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. Why? He didn't love me because I was worthy of it. He didn't love me because I deserved it. Why did he love Israel? He said in Deuteronomy 7, he says, because I have loved you, I have redeemed you and brought you out of this place. He didn't bring all the rest of them out. He brought that one little group out. A nation brought them right out of Egypt. A little group of slaves. A little group of nobodies. Uneducated pyramid makers. Nobodies. Why did he love them? You tell me why he loved them. It doesn't say anything about what he loved was deserving of his love. He loves what he loves because of the purpose he has in loving. 
Like the Bible said, this is beyond our understanding. The love of God is a subject that's over our heads. But we have to talk about it because the Bible speaks about it all the time. We're told to love one another even as he's loved us. Listen to these words in Ephesians 1. He said, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. He loved me because he wanted to. He loved me because he, God, wanted to. He did not have to. God is not required to love anybody any more than he's required to save everybody. He is God. He does as he pleases in the kingdom of men because he's God. It's his world. He made it, and he can do with it as he pleases. Let me ask you a question. Can you be separated from God's love? If he loves you, can you be separated from it? Remember in Romans chapter 8, verses, what, 34, 35, somewhere in there, the question was asked, who shall separate us from the love of God? Then he mentions all these things that people talk about. Can peril or strife or height or depth? He said, can anything separate us from the love of God? Nothing. When God sets his love and his affection upon you, you're his. You are his. And because he has loved you, he has enabled you to benefit in this world, to bless you. The promises of God are for his people because a natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit. But when God opens a man's eyes, he begins to see what God has for him. His life changes. It should because God loves him. Now today, thirdly, not only are we forgiven and we're loved, but let me tell you something about the third point. I can believe. I can believe. Now, it's true that everybody lives in this world, in this life, believing. How many times have we heard about the pop machine? When you put your house payment in the pop machine <laughs> to get some Coke or Pepsi or whatever you want now, that machine... You didn't ask the manager to come out and open the door up to make sure first that there's something in there. You know, mama didn't raise a dummy. But you just walked up there and you read the instructions because faith comes how? Faith comes by hearing. You read the instructions. It told you what to do. You responded. You did what it said. You put your money in there and then you made a choice. You got what you wanted. And you pushed the button and out came what you put your money in for. That was an act of faith. If a doctor told somebody that you have sclerosis, whatever that might be, and that you need to take a certain compound twice a day, and he gives you the paper and you go to the drugstore and you can't read it, and you don't want to know what it is. So they give you this, they fill out a little thing, he writes on here, you give him your 50 bucks and you get your pills and you go home. And because you believe, because you believe, you read that thing and set your clock. Some people do. Every two hours, oh, they'll get up 3 o'clock in the morning and get up again at 5 o'clock. Why? Because it says so right there. I'm a doer of the word because I'm a believer. We are, listen, all of us are by nature believers. Believing is an act of your will to do what you believe. If you believe that somebody said you need to move to Arizona because you have a lung problem, a doctor told me that years ago, you need to go to Arizona or some dry climate or you're going to die because the condition in your lungs is spreading. It's either that or get an operation. And there's people who would just, on the basis of what was said by a human being, they would sell what they got, leave and go to some other part of the world because this is what makes my lungs better. How do you know? I don't know. I believe what I heard. I am by nature a believer. We are by nature believers because all of us live by choices. The sins I committed, I believed I could get by with it. I believed it would do me some good. I believed I would enjoy it, and therefore I chose to do it. Because we all live by choices, all of us. And the choices that you're making is what you believe. Some people say, well, I don't believe God heals today. That's your faith. You really don't believe that. Therefore, that's not a choice you make to trust God. 
You don't believe that if you lay hands on me that the Lord will heal me. Well, then you don't get hands laid on it because you don't believe that. Your heart tells you it won't work. And therefore, you draw back from it. That's the way we live. Now, with our will, we either please God or with our will, we displease God. But the act of our will is what we believe, either what God said, which he calls faith, or what the world, your body says, which we call doubt. But we all believe one or the other. And the fact is that until I got saved, I couldn't believe God. I could mentally agree that it was true. Oh, I believe the Bible. I believe the cover is leather. But I don't believe that if I do what it says, that I will benefit from what it said. Because if I believe that, I'd do it. If I believed it, I would do it. But I do not believe that. See it again, it's my will. I do not or I do. I choose to believe that I cannot. Now, God, by relationship, by opening my eyes to see, has enabled me as well as you whoever I'm talking to, has enabled us to be able to see the significance of what he said. Back to healing. God says, I am the Lord who heals you. Now, a lot of people don't get that. Everybody wants that because they can't afford to go to the doctor or hospitals or anything else, so they really want that. They want that. I want to feel good. I don't want to have impairments. I don't want to have restrictions in my physical body. I don't want that. I want to feel good all the time, all the time. And God says, well, I'm not only the one who forgives all your iniquities, but in Psalm 103, I also heal all your diseases. And in verse 3, he said, I'm also the one who redeems your life from destruction. I'm also the one who crowns you with loving kindness. I'm also the one who renews your youth like the eagles. And yet, who believes it? Church folks don't believe that. You could read the 91st Psalm, how that God will take care of us and protect us. You won't find a handful of people that really believe that. That's why insurance companies get rich off of doubt. The insurance company says, sign the bottom line. We believe you won't, and you sign, say, I believe a will. Because that's what you believe. That's where your faith is. That's why so many people deny the Lord that bought them because they are not convinced that what God said in his word will work for them. They can't deny he said it. They can see that. They can read it there. It's clear. I can read that. But I am not convinced that he will do that for me. And consequently, we sit in church, we all have needs, and we wonder why God doesn't do something. And what you don't realize it, he already has. It's in your lap. He's given you his word. He deliver you from anything going on in your life. Any kind of a problem, you're, he can deliver you from it because he is God. He says, I'm the Lord that healeth thee. He's bigger than your problems, bigger than your circumstances. Hey, he created the world you're in. He knows everything. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. There's nothing too hard for God. He's unlimited. And yet, we look at that and we say, yeah, well, I'm not convinced. And consequently, Christianity, because it cannot trust God, believe God, and have the joy of the Lord, we have to build things and do things and invent things to do and have busy things for all of us to do. So we feel like we're involved because we can't believe. Oh, we believe, but we don't believe what he said. Now, let me tell you how joyful it is one day for God to begin opening up your heart to be able to believe. To a lot of people, I think you become weird and strange, but you get to the place where you can believe, where you can really take God at his word. Your eyes are opened. You begin to see what you never had seen before. I've been in Christian church all of my life, and with my daddy in the Catholic church on occasion, but been in religion my whole life. I never believed anything because my eyes were shut. 
Remember the story of the sower and seed in Matthew 13? His disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? You remember what he said? He said, it is not given to them to know the mysteries of the kingdom. He said, but it is given to you. Let me ask you a question. Why would Jesus say they have eyes to see, but they can't see? They have ears to hear, but they can't hear. But you have ears and eyes, and it is given to you to be able to understand what was said, to see the significance of it. You heard that one day, and God opened your eyes, and you went, wow. The person beside you said, what are you all excited about? They heard nothing. It's still a blank. But Jesus said, it is given. It is given like a gift, an undeserved gift. You didn't deserve any of it, but it is given unto you to believe. Your eyes are open. You begin to see things because God wanted you to see it. But he said to them, it is not given. But it is to you. Now, why would he do that? Because he's God. He did not bring us all in here for no reason at all. We're here for a reason. There are things that God wants you to know. There's an effect that he wants to have on your heart. He wants you to engage him in some way in which you say, oh, Lord. He wants you to wrestle with the consequences of making the right decisions. It's going to cost you this. It's going to cost you this. It's going to cost you this. You know, oh, man, I don't know if I can give up all of that. But if you don't, you'll be judged because of this and because of this and because of this because God's will is here and your way is over here. God is loving us. He's shown us his way. He didn't have to, but he does. And not only is he showing you his way, but he's dropping in your heart that wonderful thing that we call faith. That ability to say, with my will, I'm going to take God at his word. God said, the devil said. I know this is how I feel. The devil makes me go by feelings and by sight. I believe it if I see it. But God said, believe it before it's ever done. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you have received it. And you shall get it. You must believe first in the realm of faith, the unseen, invisible realm. You must believe you have something. Live like you've got something. And Jesus said, then you will get it. And you got a lot of people say, I don't think I'm going to, I don't know, I ain't into that. Well, it won't work for you then. What do you say in the end? How much carpet you bought for God? How many buildings you painted? How much money you donated? God wants you to believe him. The only way, the only way the Bible says you and I can please God is to respond to what he said the way he said it. Amen. You can't do anything else right but that. Without faith, remember Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you want to please God, there's only one way to do it. And that's to respond with this word by an act of your will to accept as true what God has said in his word and to live as though it's true, even though no evidence of this truth is made to your senses. Doesn't look like it. I don't feel better after I prayed. It doesn't look better after I prayed. I don't have any kind of anything. I just know that when I pray, I'm going to hold fast. How can you do that? Not many people do. Why do you do it? And before you say, well, you know, I don't know, you have to say, because God has done a work in my heart. Faith is always a matter of the heart. As I was sharing with somebody the other day, you can pray for anybody you want to, any kind of outstanding prayer you want to, but only what's in your heart is what's going to work. If you know in your heart somebody isn't going to make it, but you prayed that they will make it, you know it's not going to work because you didn't pray the prayer of faith anyway. You knew better. Your heart told you better. But you acted like it was not going to be like that anyway. So you did it your way. No, the wonderful world of faith, the wonderful assurance that we can have from God is that all those things that he has said, I can believe that. 
not just mentally agree with that, but I can believe that. And yet there are those who say, well, I've been in church and I've prayed about things and I asked God for this and I asked God for all of that. They say, I haven't received anything. I've heard that a lot in my life. I haven't received anything. Follow me on just a little brief journey here in the scripture. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. He said, unto us was the good news preached as well as unto them. Would you say this morning that the good news would include the benefits that God has for his people? Do you believe that God blesses you with benefits, things that he is willing to do if you'll believe it? You believe that? Isn't that part of why we're here to discover these things, to pray for a, what Paul said, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him? Open mine eyes, the psalmist said, that I may behold wondrous things. If you don't open the eyes, they don't get opened. If you don't show me what they are, I never see them. If the scales aren't pulled away, I can't see. If my ears aren't unplugged, I can't hear the word. All I can do is be a member of a church. That's all I can do. A member of a church in good standing, doing what they tell me to do, but never walking with the Lord. Never doing anything his way. But following those before me who draw back, I draw back with them because if they won't follow, I'm not going to follow. Unto us was the good news preached as well as unto them. Are you in verse 2, Hebrews 4? Unto us was the good news preached as well as unto them, but the word they heard did not profit them. Let me stop right there. Is the word of God supposed to profit us? Would you like to prosper from hearing the word? I'm not talking about a bag of money falling out of the ceiling. That won't get you to heaven. But would you like to prosper spiritually like a lot of people want to prosper financially? Well, listen. He says, unto us was the good news. It's right there. That's where the message is. Unto us was this good news preached as well as unto them. But what they heard didn't affect them in a profiting way. Oh, I've been to church my whole life. I've heard a thousand sermons, but it never profited you. You know why? There's one reason God points out why. It, because they did not mix faith with it. What is faith? It's an act of my will, a choice I make to take God at his word and live like it's true. Amen. If he said it, it's so. It's not so because I believe it. It is so because he said it. Listen, my faith, your faith, our faith doesn't make the word of God true. You know that. Because the word is true whether you believe it or not. God allows you, who've never been able to do this, he allows you to come in. He, by act of his will, he opens your eyes and you begin to see it. That's why you can walk in a dimension that you haven't walked in before or that others think you're crazy for doing. Abraham walked around for 25 years, sort of like this. He patting a kid on the head he couldn't see. And he was 100 years old and people were starting to laugh by then because he still thinks he's, <laughs> he still thinks he's going to be a father. And that woman, he said, <laughs> she's 90. And you know what? They started whispering in the church. The phones heated up. Have you noticed, Sarah? Oh, that's a tumor. I wonder what they'll name it. <laughs> a tumor's wearing a diaper. God just gives people like us because we're of that level that he can do this to. We're not sophisticated people, at least I'm not. And he gives us things to believe that the world looks at us like we're nuts. You see, like Jesus said, when you pray, believe that you're healed. He didn't say you'd look better after you're healed. He didn't say you'd feel better. He just said, when you pray, believe. Amen. And so you start believing, you know, you're healed. <coughs> What's wrong with you? By stripes, I'm healed. They want to put you away. And yet all you're doing is responding to God with a positive confession 
of what you believe. I don't care how many million people write books about positive confession. Positive confession is always better than a negative one. If what your heart says is what God says and your mouth says the same thing, when these two are in agreement with each other, your faith is released. Whoever shall say to this mountain, you got to say it. But he's given us this. I'm not talking to people that are out of the bounds of this. God has given us a way to take his word in and benefit from it. Again, Psalm 103, we just quoted it. You know, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Who forgiveth all your name, who healeth all your diseases, who crowns your life with loving kindness. That's your relationship. And he redeems you and satisfies your mouth with good things. Why wouldn't the dead church today, why wouldn't they want that? Why? Because they can't believe. I know how that sounds, and you just have to live with that, or I'll have to live with it, but that's the truth. Not everybody that has ears to hear can hear. Not everybody that has eyes to see can see. Jesus told a nation once, he said, the veil will cover your eyes. And the greatest evangelist in the world will never be able to convince you that I am Christ because there's a veil over your eyes. Try as you may, you can't do it. Try as you may, they can't get it. You can cast your pearl before swine and all they can do is mock you with it because there's a blinder on them. They can't see. The preachers are like dumb dogs that can't bark because they can't see. The wolf comes, they can't see. Blessed are your eyes, he said, because they do see. And once they begin to see and it registers on your heart, faith is the product. Oh, I'm going to trust in God. Let's hold fast to what God said. God will find me what I'm looking for. From a job to a mate, God is the source of everything we need. It's all in him because in him we live and we move and we have our being. But you've got to believe. Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. He said, we're glad in that verse, you know, that when you receive the word, you received it for what it is. It's not the word of a man, but it's the word of God which does something. Which effectually worketh in whom? Well, does it effectually worketh in anybody else? Now, you think about this. Church people tend to gloss over this because we don't want it to be that true because that explains why a lot of people never grow and never go anywhere. He says the word of God is designed to do something, like profit. The word of God is designed to effectually work. That's the word energeo, or the word from which we get energize, like that rabbit beating drums, you know, in the commercial. The word of God is designed by God for those who receive it to have that kind of an effect on the inside of you. It energizes you, but it works only for whom? Those who believe. Well, I haven't been energized because you haven't believed. Oh, I believe everything. I know you believe everything, but you got to believe the word of God. Because God said, God said, I didn't say this. You got it in your lap there. He said, it. he says, when you receive the word of God, this is what you can expect. You can expect the word of God to begin to change and alter and redo your life, redirect you in a new and living way. But this will only happen for those who count on it to happen. Even though it's not yet happening, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. I'm not worthy for this to happen. All the reasons we draw back. When you begin to believe it, you say, I'm going to count on God to do this. And you keep counting on God to do this. And one day you begin to note that there's an excitement in your heart, a zeal, we call it. An enthusiasm. I want to go to church this morning. I want to listen. And you, you find yourself really engaging yourself with the Lord. You, oh, Jesus. And then faith begins to come. Because faith comes by hearing. 
Faith is not an academic thing. Faith doesn't come because you're smart. If it came because you were smart, well, I'll speak for myself. I don't know that I want to be smart. I'd rather have wisdom. Give me a bunch of wisdom. You can have all the intellectual stuff. Give me wisdom. But you see, this is how it works. We're here to hear what God has to say. We should take note that God says this word is designed to do something in all of your lives, but it will only work, it will only do what it's supposed to do in those who believe it. Now notice, in the 8th and ninth chapter of Matthew, there's many, many healings and miracles. In one account there, in Matthew chapter 9, it says that two blind men followed Jesus. And they followed him all day, and that was hard to do, but God will test your faith. They followed him. They couldn't see where they were going. They would stumble, no doubt, trip and fall, and people didn't want to help them. But they followed him. They stayed with him. They got to the house, and he turned, and he said to them, what is it that you want? And they said that we might be healed. Then the Bible said, Jesus touched them, and he said, be it unto you according to your faith. Now, if everybody prayed that prayer today, there wouldn't be very many people ever healed. Be it unto you according to your faith. How many people go to get prayed for hoping it'll work, not really expecting it to work? They don't really think it's going to work. They hope it'll work. Maybe this guy's got something. Jesus said, be it unto you according to your faith. One time Paul was preaching. I think it's Acts 14. But he said there was a man sitting there who was impotent in his feet, and Paul, perceiving that he had faith to be healed. We're not talking about Paul's power. We're talking about faith to be healed. Said unto the man, stand up right on your feet. And he did. That man at the gate called you. Remember Acts chapter 3 when Peter and John went up to the temple to pray and there was a man sitting there at the gate begging alms. Peter steadfastly looking at him and this guy said, well, I'm going to get something from these two guys. Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I unto thee. And he rose and walked. Everybody says, wow, apostolic power. Later on in the third chapter of Acts, Peter says, why are you looking upon us that we by our power have done this? He said, this man by faith in Jesus' name has been healed. He believed. If you read the New Testament carefully, you can never escape that everything you need is right there. It's available to only those who believe it. What if you could get up every day of your life and take no thought? Every day of your life, get up in the morning and be afraid of nothing. Be delivered from all your fears. What if every day of your life you got up and you had no concern because you had on the inside of you knowledge that says, if I pray, God will do something about it. Whatever I need, my God shall supply all of your needs. You're having trouble with the lawnmower? I used to give them names. Everything was named dumb. <laughs> but the dumb thing wouldn't work or something. And then one day, and this I don't know when or where, but I'm sure that this happened like this. One day I thought, why am I spending so much time trying to make this old war out more? Why don't I just ask God for a new one? Well, you can't do that because that book down at the bookstore, remember that book said that you can't do that? Well, I got a better book. I got one here that says, what things ever you desire, when you pray, believe you have it, and you'll get it. And so my lawnmower still won't start. A new one hadn't come in. Hadn't come out of the woods or hadn't come up the street. And nobody's backed up the door with anything, so I, I need to mow my grass. It's getting high. And there's my lawnmower. <laughs> If that lawnmower was as small as my weed trimmer, I would put it where the weed trimmer went, out there in the woods somewhere. See? <laughs> that was a long time ago. It's like that tire tool you try to take it with. You know, they're supposed to go, Vroom! you know how they take, Vroom! and when they go, Vroom! 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 you just unplug the thing. You heard it banging around. You don't know what you tore up, but you know it went. That's a long time ago. <laughs> I've had a lot to overcome in my life. But you get out there in that mower, you believe in God for a brand new mower. Do you believe you have one? 
but I don't believe it because I see it. Is faith still the evidence of things not Okay, so I don't see a new mower, no. I'm sitting on one, still uncomfortable. Still won't hardly turn loose. Smokes. You know what? I'm sitting there thinking, praise God. Somebody come by and say, what's wrong with your mower? That won't start. Well, why are you smiling? Because I got a new one. Where is it? I have no idea. <laughs> and you're weird and strange. <laughs> you see, I grew up like this spiritually. Whenever the word came to Bonnie and I many, many years ago, we believed it like this. I remember believing for an airplane once. And I knew what friends would say if I told them. So I told only a few. And it got out and I had to tell everybody. And they would kind of go. <sighs> they believe for a car. They believe for a house. <laughs> oh, well, he's, that's, no, that's, no, he's into it now. That's over. And then it all happened. Yeah. Then it all came to pass. And everybody's going, huh, I wonder where he got it. <laughs> well, I asked him. He said he didn't know. <laughs> well, I guess it just came out of a helicopter one day. They just dropped it. No, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm glad I don't know. I'm glad I didn't know. Because I don't have to kowtow to somebody. I'm glad I didn't know who it was. It just happens. People bless me my whole life. I've never asked for anything. We've never taken up an offering. We've never asked for money for any reason, anybody. We've just asked for people that are hurting or somebody needs some help. But you know, we don't do that. I just let the Lord know what my needs are. He takes care of them. He do the same thing for you. Quit reading all them other books. Turn that radio off from all them people that don't know what they're talking about. Read the Bible. Amen. What things ever you desire. When you pray, God said he would do it for you. Do that. Amen. See, this is what God wants. He wants you to live your life so that if you said to yourself, Lord, be it unto me according to my faith for, you know, a healthy body at my age, a, a loving relationship with my wife, all of my needs met. Can you do that, Lord? Well, what do you think? Can he do that? Help me. You got to help me. You don't sit in the front row, you got to help me. Of course he can do that. All that remains is for you to agree with God. And then act like it's true. Take no thought. I remember many, 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 many times in our life, I didn't feel like going to church because I didn't feel good. I got out of church anyway because I believed I was healed. I didn't believe I was healed because I looked healed, sounded healed, or feel healed. I believed I was healed because the Bible said I was healed, and I agreed with God. So I went to church. I went to church because that's what I believed. People today say, well, you know, we didn't feel good. Now, I would say, you know, if you're... Children look like a Christmas tree and are hacking and coughing. It'd probably be best you left them at home. I'm just saying that, folks, your faith has action. It does things that brings glory to God. God is pleased with this. We are fools for Christ's sake. We are spectacles to an overeducated, high-tech world that cannot accept this simple message. They want this Bible to be outdated and unreliable and, and insignificant in your life. And for us, it is our life. You take away that book, I have nothing. I have only what the world has. And that's changing times. But as we sing the song, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today and so forth. So let me tell you something else about your faith before I get to my last point. Your faith... Your response to God is the way you love God back. Turn to Galatians just for a moment. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. Now, this is left out of a lot of messages, but this is in there. Galatians 5 and verse 6. You know, people talking about things we can do to make ourselves right with God. How do we make ourselves right with God? He said, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision benefits anything but what? But faith that worketh how? By love. By love. 
Now, let's see if we can add that to all of this. Because it seems like to me, in my lifetime, where I've been and looking back in my past, not only my experiences, but the experiences of a lot of other people, I've known a lot of people to get the faith message in their mind and all the numbers right and all the sequence right and all the confession right and all the actions right. It seemed like they've got all of those things right, but they didn't last long and it didn't seem like it worked for them. You can't fault their confession. You can't fault their reading, their studying, their note-taking. I couldn't. They acted like it was true. Some went to extremes with it. They did all of the things that we preach that you do. If you have faith, this is how you express your faith. And yet, today, most of those folks are gone. Now, what if you add this now to this equation about faith? I have faith in God. That is, I act like what he says is true because this is how I show him that he's the only one I'm counting on to do this. I'm loving him. He said that if a man loves me, he will keep my commandments and my father and I will love him. But he says here is faith that works by love. Now let me get to this. Hopefully in my heart, I want a well and healthy body. I want to be healed and all my diseases, whatever that the world is given to have, they're no longer mine to receive. That God has delivered me at the cross from all these things. The package that the devil brought on fallen man, I have been delivered from it by the atonement of Jesus Christ. And so I have been set free from all the stuff in this world that are killing people and making people afraid. I've been set free from all of that. Now, what if I came to a place in my relationship with God, in this quiet, very personal walk you have with the Lord? Lord, it must please you to heal your people and see them well. Therefore, Lord, I want to be well. Because it pleases you. Well, think about that now. I want to exercise my faith for whatever my need or desire is. I want to do that because I see in the Bible, you're glorified when these things happen. Didn't he say that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1? That all the promises are in him, Jesus, yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God. By us. Didn't it say that? So then God who makes promises is the one who is glorified when these promises come to pass. Because the people who receive these don't boast to other people. You ain't got no faith. They're the ones who begin to praise the Lord for his goodness and his mercy and his blessings. I think we should all be blessed. All of us. Because it pleases God to bless you. He told his disciples, he said, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God loves cheerful things, cheerful givers. God loved the world because it pleases him to love the world like that. And those of us he put in this world and he calls his children, his elect. He wants us to partake of his benefits. He's glorified in all of these things. But the right way to approach him is not so I can have it and so I can get it, so I can tell how much you get this week. Man, I got this, I got that. I got my car, I got my house, I got my airplane. No, 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 no. No. God had put in my heart a desire to receive these things is the one who, when they're received, and I give that testimony, folks go, praise God. How many thousand testimonies in the last Nearly 30 years in this place have we heard testimonies of deliverance and healing and supply and provision. How many have we heard? And whenever somebody gives a testimony, I don't think it's ever failed to happen. Somebody says, praise the Lord. Amen. Why are you praising the Lord? Because God did again something that somebody needed done. and It was a wonderful expression of his grace. Amen. Praise the Lord. He's glorified by this. We're blessed, of course, but we're not supposed to boast and brag and look down on others. 
It's a personal relationship with the Lord where I want to be blessed. I want a healthy body. I want my needs supplied. I want whatever he shows me because I know this pleases him because he made the promises and he didn't have to. He didn't have to, but he did. Turn to John chapter 14 and verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, do what? Let me ask you all a simple question. How do we love God? Most people do with their mind and their intellect, but how do we, scripturally, how do we love the Lord? We do what he said. You know what doing what he said means? It means you're faithful. That's the only way to please him, isn't it? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Who's faithful? Those who do what he said. Why don't people do what he said? Because they're not convinced he'll do what he said. And some of us just say we believe that he'll do what he said, even though we have nothing to go by that he'll do it except his word. We believe that he will do it. Others think, I don't know about that stuff. So they don't get it. But we get it. And we're his people. And he's willing to bless us when we go out. Bless us when we come in. Bless everything you put your hands to. That gets be a bunch. Bless the fruit of your body, the fruit of your ground. Everything that belongs to you, he'll bless it. He'll bless your business. What is it that he won't bless? If you're his and you're loving him, how do you love him? Look at verse 15. How do you love him? Look at verse 21. We mentioned it a while ago. Look at verse 21. He says this three times in one chapter. In verse 21, he said, He that has my commandments and is faithful, or that keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Now, here's the exclusiveness that comes. And he that loveth me shall be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Who? Who's going to have this kind of relationship with God where Jesus reveals himself to you, where he fellowships with you? Who? The ones who do what he said. They lay aside their doubts and their uncertainties, and they say that if God said it, I must count on him. I have no other choice. And so you do that. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. Now, I'm not going to ask you when, who does God love because you might not want to know the answer, but you've got it right there in front of you. He will keep my words and my Father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. God at work in you, both the will and do of his good pleasure. The Almighty, the divine nature active and living inside of you. Why, why, why? Because you made a choice somewhere in your Christian life to live like the word of God is true. To do his commandments. And when you do that, it's an expression of your love for him. In return, what will God do for you if you love him like that? Turn to Psalm 91. Isn't this wonderful? I am so glad Psalm 91 is in the Bible. A lot of people I talk to don't seem to think so. I'm glad this book is in the Bible. This is my insurance policy. Assurance policy, and a lot of people don't think that's funny. Didn't mean it to be funny, but just a contrast between the world's insurance and God's assurance. Look at verse 14. This is what God does. I will deliver him. You ever need that? Testify about it all the time. I will set him on high. Wouldn't it be nice to fellowship with him in heavenly places? You know, like you're seated in heavenly places with the Christ, the source of all your needs, the source of all goodness. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Verse 15, he shall call upon me and on a good day I'll answer him. What does your Bible say? He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. You're going to have trouble in this life. He'll be with you. You're not alone. 
Again, I will deliver him and I will honor him. And get verse 16. And with long life will I satisfy him. Satisfy. Have you ever eaten a really, really good meal? How many of you have ever eaten a really good meal? Let's say you got a real turkey, real mashed potatoes, real gravy, and green beans, and corn, and bread, and some kind of a salad or a slaw or a casserole thing, and you got so much on the table you forgot the names of all of it. And you sit down and there's no clock. There's nothing going to tick tock. Tick tock, you better hurry, better hurry. You sit down at that table and you look at all of that and you're allowed, you got time, you get a spoonful of this and a spoonful of that. Get a big piece of that turkey laying over here and get some of this and dip some of that out and you, your plate's too little. And so you start shoving stuff back and putting stuff on top of each other. And you sit back and you look at that and you start eating it. And man, sometimes you just need to shut your mouth and say, we need to pray some more, boy, this is too good. So you eat that and you eat that until your body says you are joyfully full. And you sit back and you go, wow, that was good. I hope all of us can end our life and look back at it and say that was good. That was good. The good way that God has led us all these years and the good things he's done for us and the blessings he's laid upon us. Praise God. It's like satisfaction. That's better than sitting down at a meal and there's a hamburger there that somebody found. <laughs> it's not even hamburger any, anymore. It's got hamburger in it. It was 35% hamburger and the rest of it is you don't want to know that either. You sit down there and you go, uh, now this is the way some people live. Yeah. Better than nothing. You're not satisfied. You're just existing, surviving. But you get the real food on the table, the real deal. You sit back and you go, Whew, praise God, that was so good. Woo, my body says I am happy. Where is the couch? <laughs> I'm satisfied. I can tell you this morning, and God knows my heart, I am well pleased with the goodness of God. I am well pleased with all the years he has led me. The struggles we came through, the valleys, the difficult days and the dark days. I couldn't see what's going on now, but I'm glad I stayed with it and didn't quit. I'm glad I held on in times I didn't want to hold on because he brought us out to a well-watered place. And I look back and I think, God has satisfied me. And my life isn't even over yet. How about a long life satisfied? Or do you, when you get old, you have to start worrying about breaking down. I fell off the back of a four-wheel the other day. Jay threw me off the back of a, no, 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 he did. I, I thought I'd just jump off and walk, and I jumped off sideways, and I went rolling. But just thinking how many people would have been rushed to the hospital or something. Oh, something had to happen at your age. Oh, no, you'd be somebody long and lanky as you are. Can't roll like that, and I'd be something tore up. And to get up and say, boy, it don't feel good, but in a day or two, it's all gone. Isn't it nice to know that God is in charge even of your dumbness? <laughs> even when you think you're 30 and you realize 40 years too late, you ain't 30 no more. But isn't it good how he takes care of us? <laughs> he does. He, some of us need a lot of care, but he takes care of us. When it comes time to go, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus just comes and we had a good meal on this earth? Praise God, let's go home. Wouldn't that be good? I didn't get finished today, but I'll have to finish next week. Because you see, you get talking about faith, you don't want to stop. Because that's the key to life. Amen. Would you bow your head with me? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning in the name of Jesus for your goodness to us for your loving kindness for us, for the moving of your spirit in our hearts and lives to make us aware of the truth. I ask you to bless people that are here today, Lord, that they believe nothing that I've said because I've said it, but would believe it because you show it to us and believe it because God said it. And I ask you to make us to understand what you've said and have wisdom in the exercise of it. Fix our hearts, Lord, upon Jesus. 
the sacrifice that he gave and that he made and the benefits to us of that sacrifice. Bless us now at this time, I ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how. He loves me, oh how He loves you and me, oh how He loves you and me, oh how He loves you and me, He gave His life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you.